Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Yeah, and I do think that uh, it is just, yeah, it's a wonderful opportunity. People talk about like uh, shifting the Overton window. Well, this yeah. is like literally changing the fabric of the whole Democratic Party. Exactly. And there just is no analog to this guy on the right wing right now. Right. There just isn't. It mm -hmm. could have been. I mean, if we had had, see, I think we should have had, um, it would have been, if he wasn't running, what we would want is the LP candidate to, or somebody who's like as good as like, man, like to have, I don't know, Judge Knapp or somebody or Spike Cohen or, or some, you know, great libertarian exeget running in the Republican Party and just, mm -hmm. you know, changing the discourse. And it probably be more you probably could get more traction now than even Ron Paul did, just in the sense of mm -hmm. at least changing the discourse among the candidates, because if you have right. there's it's just the we're the movement is bigger now uh, and people are hungry for some dissent against the system. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We are on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay? I am. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. This is In Liberty and Health. And today, returning to the show, one of my very dearest friends, Mr. Connor Freeman. How you doing, dude? I'm doing great, Kyle. Great to be back. Yeah, dude, absolutely. So uh, we were kind of going back and forth talking about January 6th and all sorts of uh, interesting stuff <laughs> before the show. Um, so I guess let's start with kind of like Matt Gates because we were talking about that. And um, I think you and I probably feel very, very similar about him where it's like you have a love-hate relationship with him. When he's good, it's like, oh, my God, please just keep doing this. And then when he's bad, you just want to like grab him and shake him like, you're so good, but you're so stupid on just this like two issues yeah no 100 percent. i mean look i mean the thing with matt gates what i really admire him for are these war powers resolutions yes. that he's introduced especially when it comes to syria when it comes to somalia mm -hmm. um his he right now he's just vehemently opposed to the reauthorization of section 702 of the fisa amendments act which authorizes warrantless totally illegal surveillance on americans mm -hmm. based on if you know, they're interacting with some sort of person, a foreigner who's been targeted by the national security state for surveillance. Mm -hmm. They can go ahead and spy on Americans. And of course, you know, you've got hundreds of thousands of people, if not more, uh, probably millions getting wrapped up in this even to this day. And uh, he's, you know, it was just this great piece in the Times uh, that I wrote up for the Institute where they, I mean, 
the New York Times is just excoriating. They're furious with these right wingers who no longer want to just be staunch supporters of the mass spying state. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're finally fed up with it. It's sort of like with Gates, the way he is about these endless wars and what we're seeing. I think that's probably the best thing that's come out of that Trump era, really, is that there are there is now an outlet for certain parts of the right wing to have this common sense yeah you know what we we hate george w bush and we don't want we don't want anything to do with that legacy anymore and so if that national security state that was built up to wage war against uh, muslims and and arabs and 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 people in in the middle east and central asia if that's going to continue to be used against us and continue to you be used to uh, use up our young men overseas and, you know, deprive them of their futures and, and deplete all of our resources here at home and all of our wealth um, and take and restrict all of our freedoms and liberty. Then we don't want to have anything to do with that anymore. And um, as long as it doesn't get to China, they're very, very good <laughs> and very yep. principled. And man, he introduced that Ukraine fatigue uh, resolution as well, which I think speaks to so much of you know, the, the the sentiment of the American people right now, wondering why we're teetering on the edge of brinksmanship and spending well, you know, well over a hundred billion dollars uh, in one year for this proxy war of the most corrupt country in Europe. So, you know, what? So they can, like Lloyd Austin says, weaken Russia and cripple their military. Um, or fight to the last Ukrainian. That's another thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic to see people uh, furious with that stuff. And I think, I think despite his flaws, that's what Gates represents. And, and yeah, he represents it much better than Trump did. Yeah, I completely agree because Trump um, – and this kind of goes to like the Trump of DeSantis thing where Trump – it's like where Trump was good, DeSantis is bad, and where DeSantis is bad, Trump is good. So like DeSantis, to his credit, is like a very, very good, decisive kind of leader. Like he knows how to get shit done. He's not afraid to hire and fire people. He's not afraid to use the government to you know do what he wants to get done. Done. Trump, on the other hand, is more aligned with us in like – the in like his rhetoric at least now obviously I've, I've been thinking about this a lot because there's so many people say oh i like trump for his foreign policy but then you typically like as soon as you scratch beneath the surface you realize they don't know anything about it sure um, yeah but like his rhetoric was really good and that's not something that should go unnoticed um but then you know trump couldn't you know you hire uh john bolton to go talk in north korea and then you know you let your military industrial complex just walk all over you so you kill more civilians than obama did in uh eight years and four years um whereas like if you had a mix of the both where like you had a Trump who wanted to be staunchly isolationist, who is decisive and was not afraid to kick people the fuck out of there. Then you would have actually a pretty good Republican president, to be completely honest. But the problem is that you have a neocon. And it's so funny. And I, I like beat my head off the wall when I hear people say this. The census is in neocon. He voted against Syria. Like, so we're going to focus on the one <laughs> vote that he had, the one, just yeah. one vote. But the rest of them, he's not a neocon for that. But that one vote, that, that that's the sole determining factor. Like, this shit drives me nuts. I cannot stand when people say that stuff. But, yeah, and with Matt Gates, it, it is really, really good to see him speaking the way that he does because he is um, very articulate. And I think that he's very much aligned with our principles just other than China. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, another thing about, you know, I think – uh when they did that vote on sanctions on syria after in the aftermath of that devastating earthquake mm -hmm. that hit turkey and syria i'm glad you're bringing this Syrians. up yeah yeah uh gates did vote to 
maintain the sanctions, right. which was extremely disappointing. Yeah. Uh, I believe the only two people that voted against that were Marjorie Taylor Greene and Thomas Massey. Yeah. And the thing is, when it comes to like we I think we've talked about this before, but with DeSantis in our chat, but with DeSantis, mm -hmm. when they when these guys do make that point that, well, he voted against this bill in 2014 or or 2013 when he was a congressman, yeah. they're completely forgetting the fact that, first of all, he cheered on airstrikes on Damascus during the Trump years. Mm -hmm. And this is a guy who does not ever say a word. In fact, none of them do the, uh, when Israel bombs Syria every single week. Yeah, uh, killing civilians, uh, Syrian souls, infrastructure. Oh yeah, I mean mm -hmm. they blew up the, they bombed the Aleppo, uh, the Aleppo airport. Yep, three separate times, rendering it inoperable. Three separate times in the mm -hmm. wake of that earthquake, because it was a vital channel for aid, and there was no ambiguity about that at all. I mean, it was obvious to everybody, and um, you know, no one says anything about that. And it's very important to note that. Uh, the the humanitarian crisis that has been that has resulted from those Caesar Act sanctions, which is the most cruel and humane policy you could possibly think of to essentially outlaw any entity or individual who wants to do business with the people of Syria or the government of Syria to ever help them rebuild after more than a decade of brutal right. war uh, led by the CIA, Israel, Saudi Arabia and its allies, where they backed uh, the Syrian branch of Al Qaeda in Iraq. At which blew over into ISIS and all the fallout from that, killing half a million people at least in mm. Syria. And it's going to cost them somewhere near, in some estimates, near uh, $500 billion to rebuild their country. But we've outlawed that. And as a result, we know from the special rapporteur on unilateral, unilateral coercive measures for the UN, this lady named Alina Duhan, who does great work on Iran and Syria and the sanctions, mm -hmm. Uh, she says she went to Syria for 12 days last year and says that 90 percent of their people live below the poverty line Holy and they God. have limited access to everything from transportation to health care to fuel to food to water to electricity. Um, it's absolutely uh, brutal. And we have stolen a third of their country. And that's the U.S. military occupies a third of the country in the east and mm -hmm. takes uh, most of their oil and wheat resources. And so. It's usually couched by the America first types that we do support, at least in these endeavors, especially when they say, you know, we want to get our boys out of harm's way and this sort of thing. But uh, it is kind of it, it's almost American exceptionalist to say mm -hmm. we're concerned about as opposed to America first to say instead of stepping back from this world's policeman role and allowing people to trade with countries if they want and people if they want to. And instead of interfering in that and pursuing peace and diplomacy, uh, what we're doing and, and free markets, what we're doing is we're saying well, we're going to pull our boys out, but we're going to continue to starve these people to death and allow Israel to bomb them and Turkey to mm -hmm. occupy sovereign territory. They're our NATO ally as well. And so it's just that's just some devastating stuff, but it's better than nothing, I guess. Yeah, and I agree. But like I also kind of there's this weird dichotomy where um, I think our mutual friend Robbie Martin kind of brought this up that like the MAGA movement has almost in a way poison pilled the uh, anti-war movement by you know it's very trendy to say you're anti-war right now for the solid fact that you most people know it plays well to the base because nobody has an appetite for forever wars anymore but like 
in effect, everyone will say Trump was an anti-war candidate, but what does that mean when you didn't end any wars? You escalated a lot of them, and you escalated drone strikes, you escalated sanctions, you tore up open skies treaties, um, you know, you tore up nuclear arms treaties with Iran and put heavy sanctions on a lot of countries down in South America and then almost committed to a coup in Venezuela. But he's still considered and carries the moniker of being in the anti-war president. Like, yeah. that is such a... It's like you got to take the good with the bad, but it's, you know, <laughs> where, where do we start and where do we stop here? So um, it's so funny too yeah, to see. Good. Well, it's, really, it's so funny to see he tore up the Iran deal. Mm. We've known for well over a decade, well over 50 years now uh, that you know, they're verified under a safeguards agreement with the IAEA that, and, and signatories of the non-proliferation treaty that they've never mm. sought nuclear weapons. They don't have <laughs> them. And he tears this up. Horrible, you know, expanding sanctions, starving people, as Duhan has shown, um, crazy percentages of food insecurity in different parts of Iran. Uh, and but but now you see that even with the myriad Israeli sabotage attacks and assassinations and even drone strikes that they've been carrying out the last couple of years in Iran uh, and the expansion of the sanctions under Biden. And they've expanded all these military drills with Iran showing or with Israel showing we, we yeah. we're ready to go to war. We'll do this. We'll do that. Mm -hmm. Israel, you get a green light. So then in the discord leaks, they were showing that the CIA is actually concerned. They're like, wait, is Netanyahu really going to start a war uh, because of all the <laughs> shit he's dealing with domestically mm -hmm. and how erratic he is bombing his neighbors? Uh, you know, he's well, bombing Gaza, bombing Syria, bombing, um, bombing Lebanon even this year. Well, th there's and been a huge uh deal on like the uh, west bank recently like one of the biggest yeah. uh advancements in the last like 15 years if i remember correctly oh i think it's i think it's actually 20 well it's the worst thing they've worst attack they've done in janine this northern uh palestinian city in the west bank mm -hmm. uh in 20 years since 2002 um where they killed well over 50 people this time they killed 12 but they sent the bulldozers in they sent apache helicopters they sent drones mm -hmm. they tore up all their their roads um and, and and so that you can't even drive vehicles on them now. Wow. They murdered uh, they murdered children, and and they were mm -hmm. bombing a refugee camp in the West Bank. It's absolutely horrible when they bomb Gaza, an open air concentration camp under blockade mm -hmm. since two thousand and seven, with two million people, half of whom are children, in the most one of the probably the most densely populated patch of earth on the planet, and uh, they never let these people rebuild. You know, ninety percent of their water is not uh, drinkable. Uh, so it's brutal what they do in Gaza, but the, to see them bombing the West Bank with air attacks and these Apache, all this shit we fund Israel with, their apartheid army, um, to see that all happen was just absolutely devastating. And, um, you know, I mean, God, you can watch the Hasbara in real time where they're just they're just making shit up. They go, oh, it's Iran backed terrorists we have to defend ourselves against. And uh, it's pretty interesting to see that. You know, I don't know how well that shit's going to work anymore. I mean, we were just talking the other day about how, uh, you know, after they murdered Shireen Abu Akleh, an American Palestinian Christian journalist. Yeah. Um, With a press to, vest on. Yeah, shot yeah. her in the head. And it's yep. on video. And then you, to see Biden, Israel's man in Washington, go to Israel. And, and that's in the, like, I believe it was in July. To go there two months later and say our ties with Israel are bone deep, no matter what. I don't care what anybody says. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, this is who the Biden administration is. I mean, the Israel has been going completely out of control since uh, Biden came into office. And so right now, that Iran deal, the, the interim deal that they're working on, uh, it turns out we have Western officials talking to the media saying that, yeah, the reason we're doing this is because we think Netanyahu might actually start a war with Iran. So now they've got to go back and do what they did before, which is to try and take that off the table by saying we have a deal in place, but politically they can't do the JCPOA. But yeah, Netanyahu oh, yeah. Is, yeah, he's ramped up the strikes mm. in Syria, doubled them and and the West Bank. They've killed nearly 200 Palestinians this year already in, in Gaza, East Jerusalem and the West Bank. Yeah. Well, I'm sure and, you, uh, you probably recall seeing some uh, of our fellow libertarians saying that, oh, Biden, <laughs> I'm sure you know which one I'm talking about. Oh, Biden was going to hand um, Iran three trillion or like three billion dollars or something like that. No, yes, it, yes. they're going to go right back into the Iran deal. It's like, no, dude, you have no idea. And like Biden himself said, I, I want to say it was probably twenty or thirty years ago. He said, "Oh, you don't have to be Jewish to be a Zionist." Um, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm a Zionist too. Like this is like you said, this is who Biden is. He's not oh, yeah. some you know Democrat anti-Semitic. He's not like Rashida Tlaib or uh, any member of the squad who's like kind of okay on israel if you just take like a surface <laughs> look at it no he's he's like the, he's a credit card company's guy who's, who's gonna do whatever netanyahu tells him to do that's he's the status quo yeah and i'm only laughing because the squad's like opposition to israel is so tepid compared to right. like <laughs> our guys in the libertarian movement you know yeah like, and yet they're considered like they have to lie about them and they'll be like, she's an anti-Semite, you know, like you're saying. <laughs> yeah. And Biden, no, yeah, he's got stock lines that he's been mm -hmm. using forever, but he believes them. I mean, he says mm -hmm. he said multiple times that um, it, well, the thing about it, he there's this part. One of them is where he's at an APAC mm -hmm. event and he goes, you don't. my father told me you don't have to be a Jew to be a Zionist. And he slams his hand on the podium and he goes, Israel is essential. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for the security of world jury he said we we would have to invent israel if it didn't already exist mm -hmm. to protect her interests which doesn't make any sense and then of mm -hmm. course uh he also says there's no apology to ever be made about israel it's the best investment we make every year mm -hmm. very actually similar to lindsey graham saying that uh the funding the ukraine proxy war is the best money we've ever spent mm -hmm. it's this same kind of mentality and um you know, I mean, Biden, it's fascinating to see that because it should it should actually make the America first people should step back and ask mm -hmm. why were all of Trump's worst, most hawkish some in some cases unprecedented policies regarding israel why were none of them uh changed once biden came into office only ever right. expanded they never think about that what's well, it do with the tariffs the sanctions mm -hmm. even in south america and over um what china everywhere really like it's so it's so funny to me that like Biden really is just blue MAGA. Like a lot of the policies are the exact same. And I think this is kind of where people get lost just because like they're so binary in the way they look at politics and they don't understand like this is just the momentum of our government. It's not like there's going to be changes in rhetoric, but like what they want and how they're going to dictate foreign policy all over the world is just going to continue pretty much no matter what. Um, 
did you have something else to add? Because I want to ask you about RFK. I know, know we're on a little bit of a time crunch, but yeah, I really want to get to RFK too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, no, I would just say, and, and it's yeah. we're going to get to it with RFK too. It's um, yeah. he's expanded the Biden has expanded the China policies that you're like you're yes. talking about with mm-hmm. Trump, and that's another thing. I mean, so much of um, so much of Trump was really sort of the transition period into the new cold war era and yeah. he still he still can see very clearly that israel no matter who's in power has mm-hmm. to be obeyed in a sense because of the, mm-hmm. the power of that of the israel lobby mm-hmm. and um it's it's very i always thought that once the american right like they i wish i could give them all enough already you know, Scott's book or Fool's Errand <laughs> and just get them to read that first chapter because it's so important for them to realize, like, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but my father was supposed to be on flight 175 on the day of 9-11, but changed his plans two weeks beforehand. Wow. And if, and I grew up on the right, I grew up with Fox News on in the house in the wake mm-hmm. of 9-11 thinking that you know, I knew people who were in the military and I thought, well, we're kicking ass and, you know, we're a stronger country for it. You know, we got attacked by these barbarians. I don't know why, but they hate us. You know, obviously they hate us. Um, so, but, you know, when I figured that out, I mean, it was when I first started learning about our, you know, the Israel policy. I always thought that light bulb moment would happen with other people because it is, you know, if my father had died that day and really for all the kids who lost their fathers and brothers and sisters and mothers and aunts and uncles that day, it really was at the heart of it as a result of U.S. support for Israel, their mm-hmm. their occupation and apartheid state and, and oppression of the Palestinians and mass murder of the Palestinians and their war on southern Lebanon, which the U.S. supported and killed 20,000 people. Mm-hmm just absolutely brutal and so if they can figure that out we'd be so much far further ahead now than we than we are but yeah well you know as well as i do the maga rights um downfall normally is israel china iran and most of them are pretty bad on south america too like uh to bring back to matt gates kind of upsetting to see someone like him who i've sang his praises relentlessly and it's funny when i you know share an article from caitlin johnstone everybody jumps on my ass but though you know as soon as i share something from matt gates it's like crickets nobody gives a fuck but you know i share this cat lady communist from australia her articles because she's spot on her diagnosis there it's it's just dumb um caitlin is heroic yes despite anything she gets wrong mm-hmm. from a libertarian perspective yeah. i absolutely adore her mm-hmm. you yeah. know she is one of my favorite writers yeah. and could not be more supportive of us at uh, antiwar.com and libertarian institute and yeah. i just man she's great All right, guys, we are going to take a quick break from the show to tell you about the show's sponsor. We are now brought to you by Fox & Sons Coffee. As you can see right here, I got the Den Blend Dark. Really enjoy that. Um, I've been drinking a lot of their Brazil Honey Prep right here. As you can hear, there's not a lot of beans left in it because I've been drinking it quite a bit. Um, Just to tell you a little bit about Fox & Sons, why I support them and why you should too, is that uh, Stephen had started the company up in Michigan to help teach his son about entrepreneurship. Um, I'm all about that. and I do firmly believe that in order to spread liberty in our lifetimes, we have to support those who support similar values as us. And Stephen does support all the same libertarian values that I bring and talk about on the show a lot. So go to foxandsons.com, use code KYLE at check out to get 15% off of orders, $25 or more. And there's always free shipping whenever you place an order that is more than $37.99. Um, find their coffee absolutely fantastic, and I'm sure you will too. So uh, one more time, go to foxandsons.com, use code Kyle at checkout to get yourself a little discount. Let them know I sent you and support the coffee that supports you. All right, guys, thanks. Back to the show. 
it, it's so right. it, it just drives me nuts when people can't like set some bullshit down and just realize like hey this this lady's not going to like hide under your bed and put a glock in your mouth when you're <laughs> yeah. sleeping that's that's like what some people think but um to see someone like matt gates saying we should give joe biden military authority to do a drone strike in cuba over a listening post it's been there for like 20 years like <laughs> Come on, man. You are so yeah. much better than this. Like, go have a conversation with like Thomas Massey, right? He fo- you follow Dave to camp. Shoot him a message. Just say, hey man, what what's going on here? Like, just yeah. ask him a question. I, you you and I know just you know that Dave would answer in a heartbeat and tell him, hey, this is what's going on. But like, come on. <laughs> well, so much of the China stuff to me is so funny because I wrote a piece about uh this recently. It's a long story, but for yeah. I was writing something about why we shouldn't decouple with China. And it dawned, I mean, I've I've felt this way for a long time, but I finally put it down on paper. All those arguments and all those China hawks and all those people who swallow up all that shit, they do not understand how close we are to war with China. They do just have they no don't. fucking idea. Right. They don't know that Obama launched the largest military buildup since World War II, and we've been expanding it ever since, encircling China for future war. And every week, as you know and, and cover, every week it gets worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And Biden has dwarfed Trump in terms of his escalations. Mm-hmm. And – um so the idea that you're going to decouple or like Vivek Ramaswamy says, like we're cutting China off, like it's a funny way of putting it. But like, <laughs> yeah. So what what are we gonna do? They're like th- they're thousands of miles away. Yeah, How are we and- gotta cut them off. <laughs> He's like, I, ordinarily, I wouldn't say Taiwan is a national security issue, but because of the chips, because of the semiconductor, and as we've pointed out, that is. It's a foregone conclusion but on a bipartisan basis. Uh, Seth Moulton, the Democrat from Massachusetts, the U.S. Army War College and their <laughs> yeah. documents, and Robert O'Brien saying it's scorched earth, motherfucker. We're blowing those up as soon as that war starts. So it has nothing to do with chips. Go deregulate the, our fucking economy and, and build them yourself, Vivek. That's well, what yeah, you want to do. And my point with this has always been – China is so reliant on imports and especially with their population when you learn about the demographics like they're starving there so imagine if they go after Taiwan and they nationalize the chips they already have to import a ton of food and they've already overestimated like their good healthy working population in the ages of like 20 to 40 by 100 million right i mean it is bad so now imagine that you have a ton of older people who are already in pretty rough shape because it's like 30% of their population is diabetic from malnutrition. No, those people are starving because the whole world already hates China. And then you nationalize the chips, which everybody needs, and you're an importer of your food. So now your entire population that's already diabetic and already hates your government for the one-child policy is starving, malnourished, and pissed off because they have no food. (laughs) yeah like in any reality does this sound like a good idea like countries will generally act in their self-interest in nationalizing the chips for china to use to give to their poor population like none of this makes sense when you step back and think about it for two seconds no and and i think uh, to be honest i mean and i'm sure you you agree uh at this point you know watching this stuff for years that they they also there's no the american policymakers are really dumb but the ones who started this shit uh, and at the top, I, I assume they know all of that. Uh, and I believe China is still the world's greatest food importer. Mm-hmm. And uh, they and this war over Taiwan is the last thing China wants. The last yeah. thing China wants. They and 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 it's shit. It's really not even. It's the Democratic Progressive Party. It's the hawkish. Mm-hmm. 
it's the hawkish separatist, uh, the pro-separatist, pro-independence forces, the radical factions that for the longest time, we had a policy internally called dual deterrence of clamping down on that as a part, as an ancillary to strategic ambiguity uh, and the one China policy, making sure that, look, China doesn't make a move because they don't know what we may or may not do, but also we tell them and we'll literally – Gareth Porter has that great article at The Gray Zone from, I believe, 2021 all about how Obama really did change this at the end of his administration. But for the longest time, we would interfere and and, and let, that, let, the, let them know in Taipei that we don't support this guy or this no. woman. We are not – this party. We are not getting involved with one of these pro-independence factions. And no. if they do come to power, it's like – it's a big deal that America lets everybody know this is not – we're not going this route okay you need to control yourselves and and basically you know i mean it's we've kept the peace for this longest time china's taiwan's greatest trading partner these people are kin there's absolutely yeah. no reason china would want to do this and isolate themselves on the world stage um you know and it is interesting to see too uh at the same time to see as the u.s gets more and more in as they shift toward the indo-pacific and they shift toward eastern europe in these this is really the fruition of the Wolfowitz doctrine that at the end of the day, what it really amounts to is we probably will go to war with China if these people have their way um, or if they don't change course very, very soon. And uh, certainly with Russia, we're trying to destroy their country. We're trying to cripple them mm -hmm. to dismember Russia. Um, and but at the same time. In the Middle East, what is China doing? China's going in and making peace between Iran and Saudi Arabia. And yeah. now we see Syria being brought back in from the cold. And these countries are going to be defying sanctions, I'm sure. I mean, there's not there. The, I mean, the fact that they got the Saudi Arabian, Jordanian, Iraqi, Emirati and Egyptian foreign ministers to have that meeting in Amran, Jordan, where they called for all foreign forces to leave Syria. That's you know, this is like the multipolar moment encapsulated, <laughs> you know, yeah. the unipolar moment being over. And and that is tremendous to see. But um, I think it's just it speaks to the difference between China's role in the world and America's role in the world. Right. It, it's it's almost like that Thucydides trap kind of deal, which I know people overplay that. But, um, you know, it, it's people want to throw stones at China, but like. I remember the saying, and I've repeated this a few times, that like America goes places with bombs and China goes with a briefcase. Now, yeah. I think both are nefarious, but I mean, <laughs> you know, I think I'd rather have somebody present me a suitcase with a loan I'm going to default on versus getting my, you know, house and family blown to pieces. Um, now, something else that I heard talked about is that um, China, a lot of their soil actually needs like a lot of fertilizer to have any like productive harvest. So that would explain why they want to end the war in Ukraine, because Ukraine has a lot of, you know, fertilizer and um, a lot of stuff to kind of help with what China needs. So, you know, it kind of makes sense that, you know, Russia or Ukraine are going to kind of start to pony up to China versus the U.S. I mean, yeah, the U.S. is handing out the gravy train, but like, you know, if China can do the same thing, then, you know, you know might want to yeah, consider I mean, your options here. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and to see the American response to the 12 point peace plan, which was released in in March, yeah. to see them just become livid at mm -hmm. the idea that China would intervene, attempt to intervene here and present a deal which would end, which would 
have a ceasefire uh, and end to sanctions, a, you know, a, a humanitarian response and looking and saying that, look, we believe in the sovereignty of all nations. We don't believe in these Cold War blocks. We condemn we condemn the sanctions and uh, this sort of Cold War mentality taking these swipes at the U.S. But like that is, you know, I mean, we've got Indonesia, we've got Brazil, we've got uh the whole that whole african coalition that is trying to make peace i mean so much of the world wants this war to end um and it's really the u.s and and europe out on a limb right now and and of course the european population is turning against this faster than the americans are uh especially in places when you see like tens of thousands of people protesting in germany and in italy and in france and and it's it's incredible to see that you know, I mean, for Blinken to come out and say we're absolutely opposed to ceasefires and negotiations and then have Sullivan come out and say, oh, yeah, no, bomb Crimea, please. Mm -hmm. Those those weapons that we're giving you, you can use them with Crimea. We don't even th we don't think that's Russian territory. All that's right. Ukraine. And to have him come out and say, I mean, just they are so. And now and when you see in the Times, they're like, we're shrugging this off, you know, neo-Nazis with American mm -hmm. weaponry, armored vehicles <laughs> and NATO rifles going into yeah. Belgrade and killing, you know, attacking Russian civilians. Eh, whatever. Drone mm -hmm. strikes in Moscow. Yeah, we know it's them. I mean, you know, but pff, who cares? It's it's hilarious. I mean, it's terrifying. But this is I mean, this is really showing that uh i just think the whole, i think that china like you're saying is playing a role where they're coming in and trying to it's it, it's really a pro-capitalist approach mm -hmm. to try and make you know to have business with all these other countries that's why the in the middle east that's why these countries are moving toward you know they're they're investing hundreds of billions of dollars into the middle east you know the trade the bilateral trade volume between the arab world and between china and they just cut another 10 billion uh series of business deals with saudi arabia worth 10 billion dollars and it's mm -hmm. just we what do we have to offer we have to offer well we'd like to build a sort of like nato style coalition against iran with mm -hmm. israel and us at the top and then maybe we could have a massive war <laughs> you know it's like that's the worst possible thing you could offer mm -hmm. uh that region and when it it sort of um epitomized when blinken went to speak in the wake of all of this went to speak at that gcc foreign minister uh foreign ministers meeting in saudi and he goes he opens by saying i want you all to normalize relations with israel it's just <laughs> they they have no and it's like uh mcgovern used to say like um or Ray McGovern would say, you know, in, in, mm -hmm. by June of 2021, uh, Biden's saying to reporters, and I told Putin she wants to take over the world and they're going <laughs> to press you and you need to, you need to, we can help you. It's so, yeah. you know, out of touch and just completely run by the military industrial complex. And, uh, you know, Max Blumenthal gave that great speech at the UN showing that all of them i mean i think i even underestimated this to begin with but you could see when they were all pouring in from center for a new american security and in the case of like anthony blinken from west exec advisors and, and avril haynes and her connections to all of that i mean these are just people that are just bankrolled by the military industrial complex and so their whole policy reflects that and so um yeah that's why i think that the, i think and even we we've seen as speaking of china we've seen those reports where it comes out where you know, they are speaking to China a bit more and trying to show themselves as being willing to talk, mm. uh, even to if they manage, don't offer... manage competition. 
Right. And to manage yeah. perception, too, because mm -hmm. they're they're concerned. It was uh, admitted in this Bloomberg piece uh, that officials were saying, look, the real reason we're doing this is because our allies in Asia and Europe are going, what the hell are you guys doing? Because yeah. they figure that it looks like we're we are just escalating to the point of crisis and being very cavalier about it. Well, yeah. Like so, so this is a really, really interesting point, actually, because like so now. I, I'm I'm a little rusty on these details with India, but um, we um, we've talked about it a little bit where there were those border disputes between China and India, where people were literally like fist fighting with sticks and stuff and falling off the mountains on the border of India and China, and then um, I can't remember the uh, the president of India or whatever the heck he is, um, yeah, Modi, Modi, that's it. Um, he was having talks with the U.S. as well, so um. I know we've obviously covered a lot about the whole military buildup around China kind of in the Indo-Pacific, but this is on the other side, if I understand, or if I remember correctly. So like what's going on with India? Because it seemed like, if I recall correctly, Modi was kind of like iffy about it, but he's starting to kind of move towards the U.S. now. Well, uh, one of the things that they're talking about, which they would, you know how they're turning Australia into a, a an all-service, um, full-service hub for all submarine activities? Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Um <clears throat> where they want to be able to have uh you know maintain and, and build submarines it's all it's also sort of ancillary to AUKUS what they're trying to do with India is make it a similar sort of hub for uh the maintenance uh re-equipping uh of naval vessels and uh warplanes mm -hmm. and so this is one of the deals that they're working on uh with India as well and they're working with shipping yards and I believe Dave just wrote up a piece about this mm -hmm. uh at antiwar.com but the uh yeah I mean right now I mean they're trying to you know this is all part of the quad I just saw Biden talking about this on um when he was talking to Fareed Z Z uh, Zakaria and um you know, the way they frame it is we're not, uh, I told she, we're not doing this to surround you. We're doing this because we believe in like a free and open Indo-Pacific and all this. And so we're, we're installing a prison right around you. But believe me, you will have a key. By the time this is done, you will have a key. I promise. Yeah, exactly. Just speaking like a complete serial killer or something. And uh, they, I mean, so with India, yeah, it is interesting because I thought, I was curious to see how they would respond to this. I'm, 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 we'll have to see how it plays out, of course, because we we have significantly upgraded the level of intelligence uh, cooperation with them, and it's been revealed that we were uh, doing so even at the time of those clashes on the on the uh, in the Himalayas um, in mm -hmm. 2020. And you know, India has not played ball with the sanctions blitz on Russia, very importantly, and. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how much they play along with the buildup against China. I don't think it's certainly not in the interest uh, of India to get too involved in turning their whole country into this almost this, you know, to have it so that what the whole anti-China coalition, the whole U.S. led coalition is going to be stationing uh, military equipment and and sailors and airmen and and warplanes and and, sh and warships over there. Yeah, that sounds, you know, that sounds very that sounds like a bad idea. It sounds like bad for business, obviously. And yeah. I don't know how they're going to play it, but I do know that there is a huge appetite. We've heard the Hawks talk about this that they envision India not only being a part of that coalition, but being almost like a a replacement for all the business that we do with China, they would like to turn uh, India to like the new China. And yeah. Okay. I mean, so, you know, this is actually really, really interesting. And I'm, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but like India actually has, I believe, 
I've read this somewhere. I think they have the highest vegan population and they also have like the lowest life expectancy out of any country in the world, if I remember correctly. Like they're not a very, very prosperous country. So when you think about this uh, kind of like on a meta level, and especially now that you said they're kind of trying to build India up maybe as like a new China, this actually makes a lot of sense when you c- when you kind of consider that, because that's kind of like what we did with China, right? We normalized with China back um, with uh, not um, not Nixon, um, or was it Nixon? I- I Nixon can't remember. Carter, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we normalized with China back then, and then they kind of became a superpower. Now, um, I don't know how much I put stock in Peter Zihan stuff, but um, you know, China's very, very debaucherous with their numbers, with their population. Um, he's saying by like 2030, it's not gonna be good at all, and then by 2050, their population is gonna be halved. Um, that's pretty bodacious, but I mean, you know, as everybody knows that reads anything on China, they're they're not doing well, but like they're Everything looks good. Um, so kind of in that same vein, it's almost like India is in a similar position where if we normalize with them and then if we do what you're saying, as in given this huge military buildup, then that's going to allow them to have like a greater GDP. And then maybe, you know, they start industrializing a little bit more and then maybe they become kind of like the next big player on the world stage. Do, does that like that's complete total speculation, but it honestly makes sense. That, I believe least. that that is uh, some factions are, are see that as a viable strategy, mm-hmm. and we should see. I mean, uh, I think it remains to be seen how, like I said, how far India is willing to go in this buildup, um, and uh, you know, especially because you know the Australians are out of their minds when it comes mm-hmm. to this stuff. I mean, the way they talk about it is like, yeah, we're going to well, America's going to go to war with China, and we're going to be on America's side during that war. And uh, and we're ready. We're getting, you know, we bring your B-52s, bring your submarines, bring everything you got, bring your troops. We, you know, we're, we'd love to be involved in like Caitlin Johnstone's always showing just the shocking level of war propaganda. It's like right after 9-11 level uh, scaremongering and, and war fever uh, against China over there. Um, I don't know exactly as much about how India's population looks at all of this. Um, and I should I should really learn more about how they talk to their population about mm-hmm. potential conflict with China. Um, now, they are a part of the Quad, but I don't know how strong uh, the Quad really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly with Japan and Australia, they're on board with a lot of this buildup. Uh, and uh, it's also against North Korea as well in the case of Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have that trilateral military pact with South Korea. And the Japanese are you know, going to be doubling their military budget. And they're going to be cooperating extensively with the U.S., eyeing China the whole way. Yeah. And, um, and so that's all... Uh, very escalatory, but I I wonder if they're really going to be able to pull off this idea with India, where they would like to have it to be that much of a uh, a mil- almost turn into this sort of giant naval base. I'm not sure if they can actually um, realistically get away with that. So we'll have to see. But yeah, it would be uh, if they do. That's very that's going to be a real big deal. Yeah, I I think that's going to be something that I'm going to have to start doing some digging on then because I haven't heard a lot of people talk about that. I've I've only heard it recently because of uh, the recent meetings. Um, so kind of on to uh, they're having the NATO meetings. What Vilnius right now? Literally, yep. like as we're talking. Um, did you hear anything about um anything that's going on over there? I know that um no, I've got to catch up actually, but I know that France is uh, saying that they're going to be sending over their own version uh, called Scalp uh, air-launched cruise missiles of the Storm Shadows that the British have already sent over. Kyle just wrote up a piece about that for the Institute with, um, you know, these are, you know, 
air launch cruise missiles have a range of over 150 miles, mm -hmm. uh, greater range than any weapon system the U.S. has transferred so far. And I don't I mean, I think, well, they've announced that they're dropping the requirement for a membership action plan. So they if which doesn't really mean anything in practice, if they're not, I mean, it does mean something in the sense that it's kind it's showing that like we are really you know we're still like bringing ukraine into nato that's still our plan but biden has said like we can't first of all we can't do that until the war is over we're not going to bring ukraine into nato under any circumstances yeah. if the war is still ongoing and two they've got a lot of problems with their so-called democracy i mean that's essentially what he said <laughs> and that was always the excuse for not bringing them in in the first place um was because of the corruption issues and all these sorts of things um but uh no i have to double check and see uh what else is going on um i'm a little bit i was just uh doing some catch-up but i need to catch up on the news actually out of those meetings i'm not sure if uh Zelen did you see did Zelensky show up no i haven't paid close attention either unfortunately okay. yeah um it, it seems like they keep throwing this nato bid out for ukraine um I kind of doubt that it's going to happen because I feel like this conflict's going to continue to drag on. I heard somebody that I listened to who's kind of completely out of like the foreign policy world. He said that Ukraine's winning the war and to me that doesn't seem obvious at all. It seems like Russia's like slow, like if you had to put a percentage on it to me and you would know much much better than I do, but it seems like Russia's like 60% winning and then Ukraine's like 40% losing. So like it's a fucking struggle because the whole world's kind of come to Ukraine's defense, but Russia has just endless people to throw at the problem in hopes that they're going to finally kind of move on. But then obviously, you know, we're sending them cluster bombs this week which were outlawed all over the world, which I know that's going to change a lot of shit up and that's going to make the war a lot bloodier. So um yeah, I guess uh, kind of what's the latest with uh ukraine in that respect well it's uh i mean they've already lost 20 percent of their country and uh you know i mean we're talking about with well if you're talking about the dom uh you know luhansk and donetsk and zaporizhia and uh kherson and uh you know i mean the i don't know exactly what to believe as far as casualty numbers but it, we it is American top American and European officials were saying by the end of before the end of last year that there's more than a hundred thousand killed and wounded on the Ukrainian side, plus tens of thousands of more civilians who have been killed. And again, that's all a result of the U.S. encouraging attacks on civilian infrastructure, particularly with respect to Crimea, the Kerch Bridge being the best example, because Russia had not launched their wide, their large scale strategic bombing of civilian infrastructure until that point. Yeah. And certainly the, the fact that we continue to send longer range weapon systems, uh, which I think reeks of desperation, same thing with the cluster bombs, because they're even admitting that, well, we're doing this because we don't have any ammo left to send over. Neither does Ukraine. And and Stoltenberg has been very upfront about this, that they don't really, they cannot realistically equip Ukraine with the level of ammunition at the rate that they're expending it, the entire alliance. Uh, and so they're sending cluster bombs. They're preparing to send, uh, or at least it's reported in the, in the Wall Street Journal that they're looking at sending the Army tactical missile systems, which have a range of nearly 200 miles. And those are going to be used for attacks inside the Russian mainland. They're going to be used for attacks inside Crimea. That's what Michael McCall and all these congressional hawks want. And so to see 
to see us escalating the war that much more, uh, sending over the tanks and getting ready to give them F six training them on F sixteens and yeah. the Bradley infantry fighting vehicles and depleted uranium munitions for the Challenger two tanks and all this escalation, which which in the depleted uranium they look at that like it's a dirty bomb, and now we're sending cluster bombs, which are going to be killing people for decades and generations. Right. Um, it's uh it it reeks of a callousness and a desperation and i think we're seeing that you know especially with bakhmut uh just tens of that we i don't think we have any realistic idea i don't believe Pergosian's numbers uh when he says it's like twenty thousand russians dead and fifty thousand. this was eight months of just what they were called the meat grinder we know from people who were there that you know, Americans is a part of the so-called International Legion saying that we're on the front lines. The average life expectancy is about four hours right. and that it's just Russian artillery day and night ripping people apart. And so, you know, with the conscription policy there with, you know, men between the ages of 18 and 60, you're not allowed to leave the country. Mm -hmm. I just I am. And the fact that the counteroffensive is not going well, there is no real territorial gains to speak of, nothing significant anyway. Um, and they don't seem to be able to penetrate the Russian defensive lines, let alone even – well, they're not penetrating them. They're not really getting too close to them either. It's, it's just – and you can read in like the Times and the Post where they interview these European officials who will speak candidly uh, as long as they're – you know, especially if they're speaking under the condition of an anonymity that – what they're doing is essentially a suicide mission. We they talked up about how oh we trained them in these NATO countries and they know how to they know our tactics and they're using our weapons systems and you know they were bragging that this counteroffensive is being led by a essentially a de facto NATO army, but mm -hmm. they're getting killed. And and I'm not to say that the Russians are having a smashing success, but uh, we we keep hearing more and more uh, even from you know, Western officials that we think this is headed toward a stalemate. But in practice, I think what that means is you're going to have just I, who knows? I mean, honestly, I'm not I'm not an alarmist about casualty numbers, but I would not be shocked if it's uh, if we're talking about hundreds of thousands in between the two sides that are that have died already. Um, so, you know, I don't th I don't see Ukraine uh, winning. I see them only losing more territory because one of the things that well, first of all, as you're talking about with the Vilnius summit, this hype about having an Israel model, yeah. all that does is incentivize uh, Russia to not to a not negotiate and mm -hmm. b take more territory. And right. the longer range weapon systems we send, as Lavrov has explained, mm -hmm. they will take more territory to protect their people who are under their protection in Ukraine and the Russian population. <clears throat> and so, you know, if they want to continue to have NATO forces on the ground there and training and, and training their military and providing the intelligence and sending over more and more military aid. It's just going to mean that the Russians are going to have to take more and more of the country. And, um, you know, even putting that on the table that we can have this Israel model uh, and upgrade our cooperation and their integration with NATO, even if it's not official membership, they are already a de facto member of nato that's why the war started because the americans just circumvented that the vote the process of actually going through and having each member state's parliament vote for it they just did it on a bilateral basis through the pentagon and the state department but mm -hmm. to go with this israel model thing if they're saying like biden is that this only can happen if there's a ceasefire or some kind of peace settlement then that means the russians have just absolutely no reason to even uh 
entertain negotiations because it's just going to be that much more of a problem. And so we're back at why we're in the war in the first place. It's insane to me because it's like the more and more I listen to like you and Dave talk about Russia's perspective, it's literally like they've been reasonable the entire time. And like, don't get me wrong, Putin, the way they're slaughtering people over there, it's fucking horrifying. But at the same time, it's like, how long can you poke the dude in the eyes until he starts to swing back? And that's really what it's been. And when he swings back, he swings a lot harder than we poke him in the eyes. And this is all just done at the Ukrainian people's behest, essentially. We're like, it's the Ukrainian people who are going to suffer the most. Like the U.S., we're going to feel inflation and stuff like that. But I mean, that pales in comparison to literal hundreds of thousands of people just getting slaughtered indiscriminately. And now, you know, like we've said with cluster bombs, there's going to be people dying for decades to go on because you don't see these mines. You step on one next thing, you know, you're you're gone. Like, this shit is insane. You know, and uh, I have a hatred for Josh Rogan. Bill Crystal's uh, protege writes his column at the Washington Post, and I just wrote a piece about his calling for regime change in Syria and how he had these activists go and meet him at some Maryland private fundraiser, and they got Biden to say Assad must go and all this, and they want tighter, stronger sanctions and all this. Well, then the next piece that he had written, I think, was this whole thing about cluster bombs where he was defending it, and he goes, look... This is the Ukrainians' choice, not ours, basically. Like, it's up to them. Like, first of all, no, it's not. We don't, uh, we don't, you know, outsource our U.S. foreign policy to this corrupt government we're using in a proxy war. It's not like saying Saddam is making all the decisions back at home during the Iran-Iraq <laughs> war in D.C. You're like, get yeah. Saddam on the phone. Can we do this? Is that all right? You know, is that okay, Mr. Hussein? Like, that's not how it works. And also, you, you know, the Kiev regime does not represent the people of that country. Right. And I think that's going to be painfully clear to us in the future because <laughs> some of the people that I know or know people who know people in Ukraine mm-hmm. despise them. I mean, people are terrified of the... Uh, of being rounded up for conscription for that draft uh, to go into that meat grinder. And it's, you know, there's those reports that come out in the wall street journal where you're talking about, these are people's brothers, uncles, and fathers and sons. And they're, they are poor people, people who work in factories, people who do, uh, you know, shift work or people who work at, or do, uh, you know, the sort of, um, you know, freelance worker. They're just people who just pick up odd jobs and these sorts of things. Maybe they have military experience. Maybe probably they don't, or if they do, it's from decades ago. And now they're being thrown into the front line with uh, no ammo, no support, no, you know, and, and they, some of these kids, they talk to, um, you know, they talk to like a commander uh, or a sergeant who says that I've got people who are scared of the sound of their own guns. They don't even know how to fight. And they're just standing there getting murdered. And, um, yeah, I mean, geez, wave the flag all you want here at home in D.C. and talk shit on Twitter. Got, I mean, like you're saying, it's about, um, yes, Putin is absolutely a brutal, he's conducting this war in a brutal fashion. It never needed to happen if it wasn't right. for all for this U.S. policy and this NATO policy. And the fact is, it's like it's like throwing in people who don't really know how to fight against someone like Mike Tyson, just going to beat the hell out of them. And you oh, just yeah. keep shoving them back into the ring um and just counting money the whole time like it's i mean it's something sick uh what we're doing with ukraine and um of course we hear from cy hirsch that Zelensky 
and members of his government. It's just like who can profit the most off of this? It's just a it's the one. It's going to be a massive scandal. Yeah, I mean, Zelensky that breaks through with the, the they're sending off arms into the black market in the international black market, driving around in Mercedes and all kinds of stuff in Kiev. I mean, it's going to be it. This is a fucking stain on American history, like yeah. Noah, like like up there with the worst things we've done. It's insane to like the, when you hear Zelensky talk about the way that he's receiving aid. Um, it, it's just so insane to me. I remember hearing um, Dave talk about it a couple months ago when he said, uh, um, Biden pretty much said, you have to be a little bit more grateful for all of this aid. Like the fact you would have to say that to another country, like it, does no one realize how insane this is that we're literally telling the president of another country that we just handed a hundred billion dollars that you should be just a little bit more grateful. Like the fact that that even is a conversation at all should be like the you ringing the bell here. Like, what the hell are we doing when people are just getting slaughtered indiscriminately um, and they're losing ground and people are just making money? And like you said, the officials in the government are like, oh, yeah, well, we, you know, we're going to go drive in our Mercedes and hang up a new air freshener and go to our houses up in the hills. Um, so let's he said he yeah. wanted to turn Ukraine into a big Israel. So. I mean, if those are that's your role model, that's your lodestar. I think he's that yeah. makes total sense. That kind of behavior. I mean, the Israelis kill Americans mm -hmm. and then demand money. Yep, they don't even have to demand it. It's sort of like Ukraine. If you don't support aid to this apartheid state or this corrupt government that persecutes Christians and outlaws opposition and nationalizes media and conscripts people mm -hmm. and throws them into uh, a completely losing battle just for saving face essentially. Um, and to, and, you know, and to make money and to keep up this sh charade, keep this charade, this Potemkin village going. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, it's amazing. It's, it's, it, they're going to pass some other massive military aid package. Yeah. Uh, I think all this sort of accounting stuff when they go, Oh, we messed up. We've got an extra 6 billion. What do you think about that? Or we've got an extra billion. Yeah, let, let's round up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, I think they're just sort of buying time because, um, I think it's politically it's it's politically more difficult than it was, but I do think they're going to pass it. And you hear, you can see it when, they're about to pass a 900 approximately 900 billion dollar ndaa and we hear republicans saying i need emergency funding supplemental funding for ukraine for china for taiwan for the and for yeah. additional military spending. it's like the most corrupt uh disgusting thing to see and and i you know they are going to use that as a way to you know we'll be emergency we'll be using supplemental funds to push to back ukraine and they're going to say we need to do the same thing uh with taiwan so it's just going to mm -hmm. blow it up to a trillion dollars not counting all the other ancillaries very soon but yeah. uh yeah it's just it's not going to end and i think um they believe who knows what's going to happen with biden actually because uh, it's yeah. funny to see these reports come out where people are going the guy's a real asshole back you know behind <laughs> the scenes axios this week i thought that was hilarious yeah. but um they also have said that they see this as like if we lose this war, you know, that would be a horrible political uh, kick in the balls for the Biden administration and for their reelection chances. And uh, so they don't care. It's just about keeping up appearances and uh, Slava Ukraine and all this. And uh, they're going to kill 
they don't care how many people die. I mean, that's so obvious about all this. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with Taiwan. Turn it into a giant weapons depot and, uh, you know, you and him go fight kind of thing. I mean, I don't know. They they are. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. They do talk about Taiwan in a very different fashion, like they will go to hot war. I'm praying that they are not that stupid. But either way, yeah. the biggest victims of that are going to be the Taiwanese. Absolutely. Um, if it goes down. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of on one last question, because I want to be respectful of your time. Um, RFK. Um I want to give my quick spiel on it because a lot of people have thrown rocks my way for celebrating RFK. And it's like, the problem is kind of like you said earlier, nobody understands how important it is to be good on China. Nobody understands how important that one issue is. And he's good on it. He's the only presidential candidate that is literally saying they're an economic competitor and we should win that. The only one, every single other candidate, they're like, we need to build up. We need to build up in the Indo-Pacific. Uh, China's the number one threat. They're, you know, the Uyghur genocide, uh, the genocide Olympics, um, you know, the chips that they have all this stuff. And he's the only one that's good. Is he awful on welfare? Is he awful on climate change? Is he a Democrat? Yes. But my God, he's the best fucking Democrat that's ran in like 20 years. And he's actually good on like a sizable chunk of issues that matter to us. Yes, yeah. he's awful on welfare. And Unfortunately, he's bad on Israel and Iran. Oh, yeah. But like everywhere else that, you know, I'm kind of referring to here, he's pretty fucking solid. And is he going to win? Probably not. But like, let's all hone in on this and realize this is a big fucking moment because this gives the left a chance to have the same voice that the right now has in Trump, except for, you know, RFK, in my opinion, I think is a little bit more strong footed. He's pivoted on some stuff, but I think. He's a little bit more intellectually honest, curious, and he's a little bit more up to date with stuff. And he actually knows stuff. He's not just throwing out, you know, brand management like Trump does. Like RFK actually knows things. So, yeah, go ahead. Uh, your thoughts on RFK. Well, all right, guys. Um, I'm absolutely thrilled with the uh, show's new sponsor. Um, I am now sponsored and uh, have an affiliate through LMNT electrolytes. Um, I have used these electrolytes for years. Um, back when I used to do a lot of fasting, in fact, I used to drink, sometimes I want to say up to seven a day, seven little packets. So um, the packets are full of all the electrolytes that you need to perform and hydrate yourself properly. Um, you need sodium for pretty much every single function in your body, despite what um, a lot of people may tell you. Um, sodium doesn't actually cause a lot of the issues that uh, people kind of would have you believe. So um, just real quick to give you a little bit of facts. Um, You don't need sugar to hydrate. Electrolytes and water don't require glucose to pass through the gut. The average American consumes over 60 pounds of sugar a year. And um, when it comes to athletic performance, um, you can actually lose up to seven grams per day in hot climate. So um, make sure you click on the affiliate link below to get all your hydration needs. And like I said, I'm super stoked to have these guys um, teamed up with the podcast and uh, just make sure you get your uh, electrolytes through element. All right, guys. Thanks. I hate to sound uh, sort of naive or just overly optimistic, but I do think that there is something about him that despite his flaws, 
would be very good for the country if he was to have a Democrat who has this much crossover with the American right Mm -hmm. and with libertarians and doesn't play into kind of sectarian. The affirmative action thing is is another problem, but I was going to say sort of this uh, woke uh, racial antagonism Mm -hmm. of splitting up the country and playing us off against each other and uh, basically being sort of a, a, you know, the Democratic Party leadership largely act like race pimps at this point. And uh, they really do. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's horrible to see. And there's so much, um, I think a lot of people don't like to talk about this. And I don't do it that much myself, certainly not, um, you know, in my writing or podcasting typically. But there is a huge problem with sort of uh, the acceptance of like anti-white rhetoric. Uh, and racism or just the treatment of Asians by certain groups, this kind of gets brushed under the rug. And we do live in this kind of woke world where certain groups are elevated above others. And it is kind of like the oppression Olympics or something. Right. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, all, all kinds of horrible crimes are ignored and abuses that are carried out against groups that, because some groups don't matter as much to borrow Mm -hmm. a phrase. And Mm -hmm. so that can be very troubling. I don't think Kennedy plays into that at all. I think Kennedy actually, there's an opportunity there for there to be some kind of a heel of the divide, especially after the horrible horrible legacy of george w bush and barack obama because that one-two punch i think destroyed our social fabric maybe irrevocably and probably irrevocably between the iraq war and all of obama's crimes and the whole war on terror and the national security state and torture and making it so that half the country hates the other half because you, you what do you mean you want to close gitmo you son of a bitch like that kind of thing plus obama just exploiting all of our um you know really he he was promoting this culture war thing i mean or his his surrogates in the media and turning people against each other and and then it just blew up in the trump era really too it gets blamed on him but it was really a culmination of so many things i think that kennedy could be really good for that his china policy i think and i've said this um i think is enough to vote for him and i've never voted for president ever Mm -hmm. and so you know, he said, and I, I got this in my piece I wrote for the Ron Paul Institute, Liam McCollum, uh, the great Liam yeah, McCollum yeah. transcribed this from that Twitter space. Uh, it says, let's recognize the reality. That, oh, because um, so Tulsi Gabbard asked him, is war with China necessary? Mm-hmm. And he said, let's recognize the reality that China is a very ambitious nation. It does want to compete. But the reality is it doesn't want to compete with us militarily. China is still relatively poor compared to the United States. I think we should be competing with them on an economic platform, not a military one. I'm not frightened by China. That kind of competition would be good for the whole world. It would be a collaborative competition, if you will. China does not want war with us. We were told after the cold war period that we get a peace dividend we never got that peace dividend we now spend more on our military than the next 10 countries in the world it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy we should be de-escalating we should be talking with china for god's sake we haven't talked with them in five years any talks with china should not be about military swaggering uh The Chinese have been uh, doing a lot better than us because they've been projecting economic power abroad. Why are we trying to create a war with china? Why are we making taiwan a military issue? Let taiwan and china figure it out they don't want war. They want prosperity. Let's de-escalate. Let's figure out how to have a financial relationship with them that rebuilds the American industrial base. And man, I put that right alongside a Ron Paul block quote about China from the Revolution of Manifesto. And 
I haven't seen any political figure in the country, including any of our favorites right now who are in gov- in the legislature, even if it's Massey or Rand or, Ga- or you know, any of the people that we could say are actually on the good guy team. Uh, I've never seen anybody say anything like that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, just don't. It's, it's remarkable. Like yeah. that, that alone was probably one of the best descriptors I ever heard of uh, anybody talking about China. I, I was really happy to see Rand Paul kind of pushing back against it, but he's pretty, he's like a wet paper bag. I still love him and I still think he's not the best senator there, but um, you know, he's not quite as, he doesn't seem quite as amped up about it. Um, He definitely said like, oh, you hear everybody in my party beating the, the war drums for China, but like, I don't know, man, people can knock RFK all they like, but I think if they really knew how serious this buildup with China is, then they'd be like, oh, that's why it's so important that he's really good on this one issue. And like, it it should just make everybody's fucking eyebrows go straight through the fucking ceiling when they see there's uniformity amongst everybody. Nobody questions the China policy other than a handful of people, like you said, the good guys. Nobody questions that. Nobody questions the Israel stuff. That's the stuff you should question the most. And people say, oh, well, Democrats are good on China. No, there's no Democrats good on China. George Santos is like one of the only, and he's a Republican. He's a Republican from New York. He's been the only one that called out and said, I will vote against a war with Taiwan. Him, Rand Paul, Thomas Massey, it's about the only ones you're going to depend on to stop a fucking war with China. Yeah. Like that is harrowing to think about. Yeah. And I have uh, I have a piece I recommend <clears throat> people take a look at that puts all that all the rhetoric from military commanders and the secretaries of the different branches uh, together, as well as some of the worst hawks in Congress and Biden himself and mm-hmm. the director of national intelligence, Avril Haines, where they are saying that, for one thing, strategic ambiguity is dead. And we are preparing to go to war with China. We're preparing to win that war. And that is where the, that is the whole shift that our whole national security uh, states raising detra now is going to war with China. And that is the excuse for the for the nearly trillion dollar yearly defense budget at this point. We're very close to 900 billion. Robert Higgs, the great Austrian economist, always says you can just take that nominal budget. Good rule of thumb. You can multiply it by two to see the real figure. At least if you could just put the numbers together, we're spending at least a one and a half trillion dollars right now in the national security state per year. And uh, China, as you know, is always the excuse. We have a former vice president from Raytheon, Lloyd Austin, of course, walks off the board of directors at Raytheon. And uh, but no, the secretary of the Air Force is Frank Kendall is a former VP over there. And his whole thing is I have three priorities, China, China, China. Mm-hmm. We're going to get military equipment that could scare the hell out of China. And it's like, oh, yeah, I wonder who's going to get those contracts, too. And it's it's all about that. It's just about petty career advancement and backdoor deals and then this neoconservative ideology that is the worst, the enemy of, of the American people. Mm-hmm. This We are not supposed to be an empire. We are not supposed to be giving up all of our, our all of our futures and our finances and our liberty and our freedom and our uh, – you know, in our in our future generations, at the we're not supposed to be sacrificing all of this at the altar of the American empire and the military industrial complex. But that's exactly what Biden represents. And finally, we have a Democrat who is saying that, and that's what Robert yeah. F. Kennedy Jr. is doing. And not only that, he's taken the fight to big pharma in a way that no Republican can. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at like if he has to, if it does come down to RFK Jr. versus Trump, and COVID comes up. 
There is no fucking way right. Trump can outdo him there on that issue. There's well, just none. I'm sure you've seen Trump has taken the losing side on COVID every yeah. single time he brings it. Even with DeSantis, of all people, you think Trump would kind of like dust that under the rug and not say anything about it. But then he'll say like, I'm pretty sure like word for word, he said New York handled COVID better than Florida. Like you will lose that battle 10 times out of 10 if that's how you want to go for it. But then DeSantis is like a wet paper bag, too. He has no charisma or anything like that. Oh, God. But yeah, which our, is hilarious. Yeah. And it's yeah. wonderful to see because he's mm. such a horrible person. And he really <laughs> would be a George. It would be a throwback yeah. to W. Bush, not even with any. Pre oh, yeah. No, no, hey, no. Trust me. Everybody keeps saying he voted against Syria. So we, we can trust him. We can yeah. trust him. Now, like the only L I'll throw at Thomas Massey is for trying to show some anti-war thing. Oh, look how good DeSantis has been on the Middle Eastern wars. I'm yeah, like, was- Massey, please don't do this to me. You're going to break my heart, dude. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, um, oh, God, I wish right wingers read Daniel Larison. Larison has that great piece at Responsible Statecraft going through uh, just what a DeSantis foreign policy would look like. In fact, mm-hmm. I think that's what it's, the article's called. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you're talking about ramping up attentions with everyone from North Korea to Venezuela, especially, especially Iran. China. Yeah, and yeah. Iran. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, I mean, You know, that's the other thing, too, with Kennedy and his Israel policy and his Iran policy. It's deplorable. However, it really isn't different from anybody he's running against in his own party or in the Mm -hmm. Republican Party. So you would have a status quo. It would be a, you know, we that is, you know, our support for Israel might be the worst thing that we do, in all honesty. Um, It it just it it reflects so poorly on us. Uh, that we would fund this genocide and this this generational mass murder of these people, taking their land, taking their lives, taking everything that they have, and then penning them up in these um, you know, like banshee stands and then bombing them and demolishing their homes and shooting them and torturing them and subjecting them to indefinite detention and all these horrible things. Um, at the same time, when it comes to Kennedy's policy about that, like I say, it's not different from anybody's running against. And even with the Iran thing, when he put out that tweet, it was so fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, even as much as I really support him, but it was just, you know, Ellie Wiesel said never again. And now he's talking about Iran's nukes or their potential for getting nukes, which they mm-hmm. have not. We, we already discussed they've never attempted to build nukes and right. israel has hundreds probably of nuclear uh, weapons yeah and we it, cannot talk dozens about that. and dozens no yeah and then to say and it's all a lie i mean that's all that the whole nuke narrative about iran this is all you know the israeli lobby especially and so uh they work with the mek as gareth porter shows to forge those documents to show that they even had this phantom nuclear weapons program mm-hmm. uh but but beyond that, when he does, you know, he, he doesn't have an Israel policy. He doesn't have an Iran policy. When you mm-hmm. listen to him, it basically sounds like he's just saying, well, I support Israel. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's because he's scared of the lobby. That guy who that rabbi Shmuley that they sicked on him, uh, yeah. you know, who works, who used to be funded by Sheldon Adelson. Um, and so uh, I don't know if he's just playing along with that or if he really is a zionist and i wouldn't be surprised if it's the latter but at the same time he doesn't have an iran policy either so if biden did make this interim deal that did stave off the worst of what could occur you know in the event of an israeli overt israeli strike which would start a war that would be worse than afghanistan and iraq um 
which I do think they're at, they're legitimately concerned about. And there's good reason to be, if he yeah. does cut this deal with Iran, uh, where basically there would be limited sanctions relief. They can export a billion dollars, uh, no, excuse me, a million barrels of oil per day and get access to tens of billions. I think it's like $20 billion in these frozen assets in the IMF and in South Korea and in Iraq. If they can do that and it does sort of, it lift, it gives Iran a, some breathing room with already their oil sales to Asia to get some limited sanctions relief here. And it does stop uh, a war from occurring. I don't see Kennedy as being like a guy like Trump who would come in and then tear all that up. All like right. he's against the JCPOA, but he's against it because no one supports the JCPOA. And yeah. that's the stupidest policy uh, from our entire government, practically, uh, because. It is the only good thing Obama did, really, uh, apart from uh, working toward, you know, normalizing relations with Cuba. But the 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 JCPOA thing, all it did really was take war off the table with uh, with Iran. We knew they weren't making nukes, and this was just a way of absolutely verifying it. You know, double, triple verifying it and showing that there is no reason for Israel to start this war. Okay, everybody, can we move on from this? And uh, I, you know. Rand Paul is a better advocate for the JCPOA than any Democrats in Congress that I'm aware of. And he has been. I mean, he he has gotten into debates with Robert Malley, who has been Biden's special envoy for Iran, where he's like to the left of Malley. So who helped well, negotiate the JCPOA? I remember Rand Paul. Now, this was a while ago. He used to be pretty bad on the Iran deal. Like he was champ. Yeah. He was championing against it. So he's pivoted on that. Yeah, in um, yeah, okay, it was last yeah. year. It was after. Oh, I all right. It was after the Israel, and I don't think he. I don't think it had anything to do with this, but it was around the time Israel launched their pretty unprecedented assassination campaign. And yeah, I remember, last year. yeah, they were poisoning yeah. a bunch of people. Yeah, and drone striking military facilities, and yeah. the MEK was they had they had murdered an IRGC colonel in his driveway on just guys mm. on motorcycles who shot him to death in his car, and um you know, taking credit for it, basically, uh, unofficially in the press. Mm -hmm. And um, so Rand got into, I think he was, I think it, what it was, was it was like a Senate Foreign Relations Committee meeting yeah. where Malley was testifying. And Malley was saying how I don't think, you know, the chances of us returning to the deal are very low. You know, we may, we'll probably just walk away. And Rand goes, why are you increasing sanctions? And he's like, he's like, Rand's like, what? What do you mean? Like you say you want to change Iran's behavior, but you offer them no incentives. Right. You you don't really give them an off ramp. He goes, if you want to, if you want to negotiate, you have to put something on the table. You have mm -hmm. to say you will lift sanctions. You will do this. Um, and I'd have to go back and look at the the dialogue. But essentially, he was putting himself, positioning himself to the left of Mali, mm -hmm. uh, who was basically saying, "Oh yeah, we're not going to return to the deal." And Rand's like, "I don't see a reason why we can't." Uh, I, it looks like you're not doing your job basically. Right. And so, uh, that was good to see, but I haven't seen any Republican or Democrat really going to bat for the JCPOA. And it doesn't make really any sense except for the fact that, you know, if Biden's administration doesn't want to have anything to do with the JCPOA because they see it as like a political, a third rail, because you imagine what the response would be from the Republicans right. and the Israel lobby. And every time they got close to it last mm -hmm. year and the year before there were Democrats in Congress out in force, uh, telling them that if you do this, you know, you're, you're going to be on the, uh, we're going to, you know, that basically saying you support terrorism, you know, this kind of thing, like saying the IRGC is <laughs> yeah. the world's greatest terror organization and all this mm -hmm. stuff. 
and these were like Elaine Loria and and other Democrat uh, Democrats in the um, in the House who were leading these kind of moves and signing all these letters and saying we absolutely oppose uh, any sort of you know return to the JCPOA. And um, so there's just no political advantage there. So I think that's why they're shooting for this interim deal thing. But like I said, I don't see RFK coming in there and ripping that up. And, uh, you know, he especially taking that fight to Big Pharma. There is such a base of people who have just had their lives ruined, uh, whether it's by the COVID regime or just, you know, medications and 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 medical malpractice and these things and there's really nobody fighting for them in the, in the entire country to have him come and do that that is such a powerful thing um and i think he's going to get a lot more support than people even can imagine right now so uh there's just too many things there's so many things he's great on and you know what as far as the iran israel thing goes i'm not saying he'll ever be good on it or even great however mm -hmm. When people used to go like, well, maybe Trump will do that. Like, you know, uh, I think there's a better chance of getting to nudge Kennedy on some of these things, particularly Iran. Maybe not or, support for Israel and, and, and its occupation of Palestine. Right. Uh, but you could probably get somebody in there to explain to him the situation with Iran and, and why we should return to the JCPOA or why we should begin to lift sanctions here. Mm -hmm. um, and so we'll have to see. But I mean, yeah, he just I mean, his. I, I really am excited to see what he can do. I think it's um, it might be our best shot for a while at kind of setting, uh, putting ourselves, getting off this path to oblivion that we're headed down and down a more sensible uh, path, even, especially when it comes to foreign policy, but when it comes to just domestic mm -hmm. policy and even economic policy. I mean, the way he talks about money, the way right. he talks about uh, the Federal Reserve, it's very um, – it's very uh, heartening to see. And there's so much crossover with what this guy's doing that it just makes sense. I don't know that the LP is going to put forward somebody that I would rather vote for than him at this point. And so, uh, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. I haven't seen any libertarian party candidates. I think almost all of them follow me on Twitter and I'm just, I'm wholly uninterested when, you know, we have about the same following as in like me and the presidential candidates, like they're a little bit bigger, but like, sorry guys. <laughs> like I, I I've supported the libertarian candidate for president the last two election cycles, but like they were at least out there and like had a presence. I, I don't see any of that right now. And, you know, RFK, as we've kind of covered, he is probably the closest to us with the best foreign policy. And yeah, in my mind, he seems the most intellectually honest and willing to have a conversation about all of this stuff versus anybody else. Like he does not seem like he's 100% set in his ways and maybe it's naivete, but it literally does seem like he's willing to talk about a lot of these issues. And, um, you know, like every single time you hear him talk about the vaccine stuff, when he says, show me where I'm wrong and people just berate him for that. Like, no, this is what we do. We have an intellectual conversation. He yeah. asks where he's wrong, show him. And, you know, if he doesn't change his mind and he acts like an asshole about it, okay, I'll admit that he's an asshole and he's not willing to change his mind, but like, you know, at least engage with him in an in, intellectually honest way. Cause it seems like he's very receptive to that. So, um, you know, I'm right there with you. I'm excited it's, to see what happens. It's, and it's so funny to see, Hey man, I have to blow my nose really quick. If you don't mind. Yeah, no, no, you're good. You're good. I'll pause okay, one quick. Apparently, uh, talking about RFK is that exciting? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> it is so funny to see too how the Democrats just do not know how to handle these third-party candidates. 
Um, did you see yesterday <clears throat> Cornell West put out a tweet where he was just opposing the new Cold War with Russia and China and no, saying I the Democrats yeah. are the party of war. Yeah. They want to strangle Russia and 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 go to war with China. I don't and, know anything about him, but I saw that tweet and I'm like, that's pretty fucking good. Yeah, I don't know anything so about good. him, but I I was giving that one a thumbs up. I like that one. <laughs> yeah, man. He it's so funny. He wants to uh he's he's a total uh leftist. I don't even know how far left he is. Mm-hmm. Um but it's funny like uh um he's like he wants the US to leave NATO. Like it's it's just mm-hmm. he, he's it's he's very he's uh he actually said about Robert F Kennedy Jr. he's like if brother Kennedy doesn't think that the Israeli IDF are killing Palestinian women and children deliberately then he needs to get off the crack pipe. Like uh that was it was great <laughs> to see. Um but, you know, it was so funny, man, just to see who the Democrats are and who they've been, especially po- since Trump. Yeah. Keith Olbermann in the comments on that great Cornell West tweet, which I can't quote the whole thing. He quotes W.E.B. Du Bois, and it's just... Yeah, I know exactly it, what you're talking about. He goes, fuck off. And he Keith Olbermann tells this black guy, this, uh-huh. this you know, in black intellectual anti very respected guy you know he cornell west can go on the bill marsh show he can go on laura and he can go wherever he wants and even though he is you know strongly opposed to he's compared barack obama to richard nixon and uh uh you know he says that uh, richard nixon is to the left of barack obama when it comes to like uh labor well i forget what it was i think um it might he might have been talking about healthcare or foreign policy or something but you know he's attacked obama for his drone program and he's always been a supporter of uh palestine and all this stuff so uh it's just funny like he's not a guy you're supposed to talk to like that uh despite his flaws and there's a lot of things he gets wrong from a libertarian perspective but to see this son of a bitch say to him fuck off and then quote tweet him and say that and Mm -hmm. to see these democrats who are just like yeah keith and his point is like you're doing Trump's dirty work for him, like by running as a third party candidate. Mm-hmm. Like, how dare you? It's so funny to see. And they just they do not know how to deal with somebody like Kennedy either. We saw him give his speech at Porkfest, and he talked about the CIA and the Pentagon's involvement <clears throat> in America's biowarfare program and ultimately in the whole COVID pandemic, that speech has been uploaded to YouTube. I recommend everybody check it out. It's on the free, I believe it's on like the Free State Project's official YouTube channel. And it is just phenomenal. He got up there with no notes and just gave this incredible speech. By the end of it, you wanted to throw Avril Haynes in prison. It was spectacular. <laughs> and uh, there's just, there if, if the American people hear that, and they are hearing him, he's doing all these podcasts and you know, Rogan's show and everything, getting all these great responses. They just, and like when that, what, what, uh, that, that, uh, Dr. Hotez, what's his name? Yeah, the guy uh, who, Peter Hotez, I think. Peter Hotez. Like that. Yeah. that was just like, you know, uh, the worst kind of like own goal you can imagine. Like the guy just completely humiliated himself and the, what it was the worst kind of backfiring in this sort of PR campaign against him. Yeah. I just, they knew they do not know how to handle this stuff anymore. The Democrats have gotten so bad and people hate them so much. All they can do is rely on this anti-Trump sentiment, this anti-Russia sentiment. And, um, I, I don't know, man. I don't think that there's – I think there's going to be a lot of Trump supporters, a lot of Republicans who are going to want to support Kennedy instead mm-hmm. uh, this time. And um, 
who knows what will happen with Biden, if he'll even be able to run, to be honest. But if it does come down to anybody else other than the incumbent versus Kennedy, <clears throat> first of all, I think there's some polls that show that Kennedy has a higher approval rating and a lower disapproval rating than any candidate running in either party. Hmm. And so, yeah, or at least there's at least one poll that shows that it might have been from The Economist. Yeah. Um, but but regardless, I mean. If you put him up against like Gavin Newsom or somebody, whoever they have on their bench, pfft, I don't think there's any way that that guy, yeah. any of them can compete with Kennedy. Yeah, so. I don't think the Democrats, the Democrats definitely want to get rid of Biden. I think they saw him as kind of a good puppet to kind of hang in the wind. But I think they're about done. They found their use for him and want to kind of kick him to the curb. But yeah, yeah they definitely do not want to go toe to toe with Kennedy because as we've covered throughout the show, he knows what he's talking about. And if they like, if they got to go toe to toe with him, he will walk all over them without a second thought, without hesitation. So I think they're kind of looking at him the same way the uh, Republican Party looked at Trump and probably to a larger degree, Ron Paul. Like, I know everybody says Trump wasn't supposed to win, but he won. And then he did generally what the empire wanted anyways. Um you know, and they never blanked him out of all the polls. They blanked Ron Paul out, though, right? They made sure yeah. Ron Paul wouldn't win. Trump won. Ron Paul didn't. Now, who do you think was a bigger threat to the establishment? Yeah. Trump or Ron Paul? <laughs> I, I think RFK, in this respect for the Democrats, is more of a threat than like Bernie Sanders was. He's kind of looked at kind of like the Ron Paul of the left. I think RFK is like a step above bernie sanders in that respect as in oh, yeah. he actually like rfk has seemingly has integrity and is much better on all of the issues <laughs> um and i think he captures a lot more of like everybody rather than just like one party or the other i think he he just has a really really wide wide appeal so yeah people can knock him but uh i'm rooting for him i really yeah, am too. And I think he's a great candidate. I think he's very, very well spoken. And plus, it is pretty cool to see the first president like jacked. <laughs> if he's yeah. on steroids, I don't give a fuck. Dude looks fucking great for almost <laughs> 70. I, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> well, that's another thing, too. I mean, like, it, it's so um, it's not even superficial, honestly, because look, Biden is this. It would be one thing if Biden was just an older guy, yeah. but Biden is everybody knows he's a walking corpse. Yeah. He's not he's not all there. And everybody has known that for you. Even when he was campaigning, it was obvious that he was yeah. really losing his marbles. And this is not a guy who's been ever known to be a smart fella. He Biden was always dumb and always thought to be kind of a clown and a liar and an ignoramus yeah. and sort of a, just an angry, bellicose, corrupt son of a bitch. And and now to see him going into this comatose state, um, you know, it's just he does in a way, I mean, he's the perfect personification of what has happened to um, the American ruling class or the American empire. But to contrast him with Kennedy, it really is something. And just him being in such great shape uh, and being so articulate and so uh, passionate and erudite, it really is just the complete polar opposite. And the other thing, too, that I noticed when we were seeing him in Porkfest, again, despite the fact that he's not a Ron Paulian, the real interesting thing about Ron Paul to me was um, he – do you remember when they used to make those compilation videos of Ron Paul speeches and they would play Don McLean's American Pie behind him? Mm -mm. Like, you know, bye-bye, uh, Miss American Pie. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, so the thing about Ron Paul and when you read his books, um, 
it's not like when you read well you could get this if you read certain rothbard books or certain libertarian books but specifically ron ron was able to make despite the fact that he was telling you and we have all come to know just the worst things about the american corporatocracy our ruling class our military our intelligence apparatus the the millions of people that have been killed all these horrible crimes against the working class against the middle class with our central bank and just the absolute devastation of our economy and how the corrupt nature of all these bureaucracies being controlled by uh, the most powerful uh, corporations and how they use the regulations to just completely devastate small businesses and basically uh, destroy them through compliance costs and all these mm-hmm. different horrible ways that the uh, the oligarchy is able to crush, you know, independent um businessmen basically i am stoked to tell you guys about the show's new sponsor i am now working with mts nutrition which is a brand that i've believed in for a very long time and they run awesome cells and they have awesome products so um i want to tell you about their amazing protein powder which you're going to ask me how many pounds i have of the protein powder and the answer is all of them so here i got red velvet cake 25 grams of protein and they have the amino acids and everything on there 59 servings Peanut butter fluff, uh, fluffernutter, 26 grams of protein, and then also the chocolate chip cookie, which literally has real pieces of chocolate chip cookie in there. So 27 grams of protein, 180. As I've talked about on the show, getting your protein in is very, very important. So make sure you hit that link below and purchase your protein powder through MTS Nutrition. Boom! Um, the um, But Ron was able to make you proud to be an American. Yeah, he was. He was able to tap into that um, that Declaration of Independence spirit. Mm-hmm. The uh, the cl- that that at, which is the only that's my favorite aspect of like classical liberalism is just that it's like when we were back in New Hampshire. I was born in Massachusetts, so I'm getting a little bit like just driving through there out of the Manchester airport, just looking around like, yeah, I feel like I'm home. And then that was the thing I really felt at Porkfest, and I've always felt that when I went to like my first Mises Institute event. It's like, God damn, like I'm proud to be a libertarian. I love being around these people. And um, Ron can make you proud to be an American. And, you know, it's not like the Kennedys have a great record. However, Robert F. Kennedy has this has he's a very, as I say, erudite guy with this great classical education. He is able to tap into that classical liberal, you know, that American history, and he's able to evoke um, these emotions in um, in the audience that Uh is very similar to Ron Paul. Where he can actually make you proud to be. You know what? One of the things he said in his speech that really got me. He's talking about setting up the CIA after World War II, and mm-hmm. he tells this audience, he goes, you know how anti-American that is? You know, we were that's, we, we're not East Germany. We're not, you know, we're not the Soviet Union. We're not, we don't have uh, a Stasi. We don't do this. And, and, and it's just, he goes, this is, verboten, this is verboten in a free society. You don't do it. You know, and that's the kind of thing Ron Paul used to say, right. you know, and he still does, you know, but, but man, dude, when he gives that, when he gives these speeches, it's really interesting. And, and for Kennedy to be able to do that with people, I think again, is going to be very important. I'm not the most patriotic guy in the world. I have very, I, I was joking around uh, with somebody the other day that like, I have very few reasons to be proud to be an American anymore. Music is one of the main ones. I think, uh, for, I think you, you and I both have that in common, but mm-hmm. Ron Paul is able to get that out of me. And I think Kennedy will be able to as well. And I think that's really important. And as good as Dave Smith could have been if he if he ran, 
um, I don't know if he would have been able to pull that out. You know, I don't know that the American people would have responded in that way that they did with Ron. Uh, right. And I don't know what it is. If it has, it, maybe it's like a sub subconscious thing, or if it has to do with aesthetics, mm-hmm. or if it really does come down to rhetoric. Um, but uh, I think it's it's just something very unique, and the American people could use that because, mm-hmm. as I say, not just for me. There's a lot of people looking around and having they're running out of reasons to be proud to be an American. Right. And I do understand that instinct, especially being in New Hampshire, of wanting to just secede and get the hell out of this thing. You know. <laughs> and um you know i think that you know someone asked him a question about that and uh what actually was i forget what her name is but uh asking all the questions at the end of his speech mm-hmm. and uh she asked him about that you know how the free staters if we decided to you know secede would you <laughs> exercise violence against us you know to prevent that mm-hmm. and he made a, a crack about taiwan he goes uh well, I think my policy would be the same as it is with uh, with China over Taiwan. Let's call it strategic ambiguity. <laughs> it's <was> very funny. <laughs> and um, but then he followed that up by saying, "We can always figure that out." He's mm-hmm. like, you know, he's like, I don't know, I'm gonna do something like that. But listen, he goes, "What I want you to do, I want you people to be proud of your country again." Mm-hmm. And that's a fucking that's a that's a that's something that people do want i mean i I, as i say i am not a nationalist but i understand not wanting to live in a country that you think could be good but is horrible that is doing horrible things at home and abroad no one wants that and you know what man he talks about i think he brought up he might have brought this up uh he certainly brought up the fact that we spend one and a half trillion dollars a year on the empire and he Mm -hmm. talked about the peace dividend and he said how that destroys the middle class and god to have a democrat saying that is just fantastic but i think he also brought up the cost of war study that came out from brown university recently that showed that in the post 9-11 war zones at least it's a conservative estimate four and a half million people have been killed or directly or indirectly um as a result of the devastation of just health services and infrastructure Mm. and all these things and that you know telling the american people that and saying that there's another way we can choose peace we can choose to be you know a, a nation we can be proud of to be at peace with the world and as he says, you know, to have economic collaboration with these other countries instead of animosity and acrimony and and uh, brinksmanship, mm-hmm. we can actually turn around and do the right thing here. And, you know, the way he talks about the situation in Ukraine, it's just indispensable to have somebody with that much of a platform, as long as they don't you do something to get rid of that, uh, to talk to the American people directly and in a straightforward, honest way about how we got here. It's very valuable in a way that I don't even know if we could have possibly had a better option in the LP right now. And so, uh, yeah, I had it's the first time I've really talked about the Kennedy thing um, publicly. I, I am very, um, you know, cautiously optimistic as I am with anything. As right. I said, I've only ever voted against John McCain <clears throat> before he died. Uh, and uh <laughs> And I voted to like legalize pot in Arizona and um, voted against Sheriff Joe Arpaio. It's just a local tyrant. Um, but um, no, I haven't voted since. And I never felt I had a reason to. I didn't. I don't like it, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. It, and uh, but I would I'm probably going to vote for this guy 
if he can if he can get into the general. And um, yeah, I'm just very excited. And I think it's a big opportunity, just right. like it was with Ron Paul. I think it's a big opportunity for for us. I think it's a big opportunity for for people who are nominally or ostensibly on the fringes yeah. in political discourse in America to all of a sudden now have a voice. And especially for independent media and guys uh, like us with our with our shows and uh, you write for the Institute. And I I you know, with your great piece about Miles Guo and the China Hawks and Steve mm -hmm. Bannon and all, you know, it's important to have somebody. I mean, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is putting out tweets where he's pulling up Dave DeCamp articles from antiwar.com. You know, yeah, he's, he's the only candidate yeah. speech at the UN, like only candidate to refer to antiwar.com like that. That's when I hear people bitch about him, they miss this point. This is our first opportunity in a long time after the Trump era to now finally extend a hand out to dissident left wingers who feel the same way about us on a whole host of issues, who felt completely fucked by the Democrats when it came to the COVID response and stuff like that. This is now their chance to say, this is our guy and stick their heads up above the water. And now we can all meet them and maybe make compromises in, in a reasonable fashion along the way. Like, that is the whole point of this. It's not just Kennedy. Kennedy's a big deal, but like, yeah. there's so much to this moment in particular. And people who want to say, oh, I had somebody tell me that, oh, Obama was good on war too before he got elected. Like, come on, dude. You just yeah, have a, a little, yeah, have a little bit of humility, have a little bit of patience, and have a little bit of optimism. And this is the same person who also told me that I'd be wrong about DeSantis being a neocon, which is absolutely <laughs> la yeah, yeah. Just uh, I, I can't stand the people who you can only have positive feelings about people on the right and not people on the left. I have positive feelings about people on both sides. It when I see somebody who's good on the left, I'm going to say that. When I see somebody who's good on the right, I'm going to say that. If they're right on an issue, I'm going to say that. I'm not some partisan circle jerking dude. I think that is the lamest, most retarded shit ever to sit there and just omit all the bad things that the people you like do and only speak about their good or vice versa. I think that's so lame. Um you know, if we're going to be anybody, if we're going to be anything, we need to be unabashedly libertarians who are outspoken and speak to our values and praise people when they're good and scold them when they're bad and put forth our values and give it a positive vision for people rather than just constantly tell them what's wrong with them or what's wrong with the world. We have to lead with a positive vision and say, you know, we are anti-war, pro-peace, pro-humanity people who just want to see the best for people and let them have the most autonomy in their own lives so they can make their own decisions about how they can prosper. That's what I think we need to be as libertarians. We don't need to be partisan hacks for DeSantis, Trump, or, or even RFK or Biden or anybody like that. We need to be unabashedly libertarian and very, very vocal about that. And anything less to me, I think it's just bullshit, to be completely honest with you. Yeah. And I do think that uh, it is just yeah, it's a wonderful opportunity. People talk about like uh, shifting the Overton window. Well, this yeah. is like literally changing the fabric of the whole Democratic Party. Exactly. And there just is no analog to this guy on the right wing right now. Right. There just isn't. It mm -hmm. could have been. I mean, if we had had – see, I think we should have had um, – it would have been – if he wasn't running, what we would want is the LP candidate to – or somebody who's like as good as like – man, like to have – I don't know. Judge Knapp or somebody or Spike Cohen or, or some, you know, great libertarian exeget running in the Republican Party and just, mm -hmm. you know, changing the discourse. And it probably be more you probably could get more traction now 
than even Ron Paul did, just in the sense of mm -hmm. at least changing the discourse among the candidates. Because if you have, right. there's, it's just the we're the movement is bigger now, uh, and people are hungry for some dissent against the system, and right. they can feel that hypocrisy. They can sense it, especially when so it's someone like DeSantis who has this like very like, you know negligent uh or uh negligible differences with the democratic yeah. party when it comes to even things like ukraine it's very uh, faux uh dissent yeah it, it's it's very um just completely uh it's minuscule ultimately because he's just as bad of a hawk as biden is mm -hmm. on all these different countries and yep. and they're really you know quite honestly it's like biden's policy on north korea has been worse than trump's was and mm -hmm. you could argue the same thing about his iran policy and DeSantis yep. would try and be worse than biden because biden's a democrat and biden's weak and feckless and has to always be no matter how bad yep. he is and to have someone like kennedy in there doing this i like i say i just think it's changing the whole national conversation if if we handle this the right way and um and it's just yeah i mean to have someone just saying no to the whole chi the build up for war with china who said we were building up for war with china you know because that's like mm -hmm. no one is saying that and so to have him do that it is um it is just a phenomenal opportunity because now we're having a real discussion we're having a real discussion about big pharma and the corruption at the fda and and things like this mm -hmm. uh and and to have someone who really did who really sees the um the covid regime as a totalitarian aberration that should never have happened in a free society which is a stronger position than you get from any of the republican candidates absolutely uh and so you know and DeSantis can talk a good game all he wants i mean this is a guy who's really talk walking the walk and i like i said that yeah. speech was incredible mm -hmm. i mean um we we yeah this is we are now this is a guy who is going to kind of go to we can go to war with the establishment here in a real way not in a fake way with trump where he's clearly speaking out of both parts of his mouth yeah. and you know he's you know because even when i was watching trump run in 2016 I was like, I because I did grow up on Fox News. Like, I can pick the neocon propaganda and the talking points out yeah. very easily. And I was like, yeah, you want to expand the surveillance state. You want to torture people. You want to mm. bomb the shit out of ISIS. You know, Israel, 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 Iran, Iran, Iran. And like the worst deal in history and all this. And um, he's just, he's horrible on Israel. But he's, but again, like, I think if anybody can be have his mind changed on that it's probably him and so we can right. try on that but yeah there's just too many things that i think there is real common ground with libertarians on and uh regardless just having people say him saying the things that he's saying now it opens a lot of doors and um quite frankly we needed somebody at his level to come out and say these things uh especially about ukraine right because um I hate using the term normies, but they're not hearing, uh, unfortunately, um, you know, what Ron and Dan are saying or what Dave DeCamp is saying or what Scott is saying or what uh, all of our great libertarian uh, friends are saying and all the, and all the great leftist writers, you know, that, that we all read and, and, and shows we listen to. Unfortunately, I think we're all still in this sort of anti-war echo chamber, but now that's going to be opened up. Right. in a way that it just hasn't been because the democratic party has been so completely mindfucked by yeah. russia gate especially um and the republican party is starting those those on a constituents level i do have some faith i used to be much more cynical about republicans mm -hmm.
But at the same time, their rejection of this Ukraine policy is very heartening because they're trying very hard to get them all on board for it. If you look at Fox News or Mm -hmm. Fox Business now, I mean, even Fox Business, you know, it's funny. They're like the most though they're like the least bad cable cable news channel but they're so hawkish <laughs> yeah, i was gonna say it's that's what i much <laughs> yeah it's terrible it's yeah. so, so hard to watch uh but it is funny i mean they just that is not the feeling in in the heart then in the heartland no one no one really no one wants to you know destroy russia and go to war with china the thing is they're not being told what the real policy is especially with china all they can do is scare us about china Mm -hmm. they don't they can't get the american people to want to go to war with china so you got to manufacture the consent exactly and it's not amplified that's what's so enraging about this slow motion it's not even why it is i i guess it's slow motion train wreck but it's gonna it seems like it's going real fast but Mm. they can scare the hell out of people about oh my god this balloon we gotta we gotta do something we gotta scramble jets like yeah Uh. um but they just i think they can only scare you about china they can't scare Mm. you into wanting to go to war with china Mm -hmm. and uh so that I'm I'm excited I'm happy about, and I think that once I've always thought that if if the Republicans could see that this is Obama's project and that mm-hmm. Biden is the one taking us to war here when it's not necessary, I thought there would be, there you know if then they just don't know. I really do believe that. So um, to have this guy who they agree with on all these other things saying that, man, that's a big deal because. Uh, no one's going to tell the American right the truth uh, in their own leadership. And we've seen that, like we were talking about with Gates. Like, you know, he's trying to scare you that they're well, – he was talking about some infrastructure project that uh, they were building in um, – I forget what country it was uh, in Central America or South America. Mm-hmm. But he got up and yelled at Congress and he uh, on the floor and he's going, uh, have we forgotten about the Monroe Doctrine? Like, you know – so well, my grandchildren kind of... will be speaking Mandarin. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> Come on, dude. <laughs> yeah. And so it'll be great to see somebody, you know, changing the conversation. That's really all that needs to happen. And uh, it just it's I think it's I think it's going to be exciting. So we'll have to see. But I am rooting for uh, Biden tripping and falling uh, and something <laughs> happening here, because if we can get it and you know what they may want, they probably do want to get rid of him. I think they they really are doubtful. The scary thing is I bet you they would rather have Trump or DeSantis win rather than give it up to Kennedy. But maybe they won't. Maybe they maybe they see it as like, well, we, you know, it's probably the best thing for the party if we can get because I have and I'm not an expert on like internal Democratic Party uh, politics. But I do know that I have there are some inklings that people realize that their approach for the last several years is starting to have a lot of diminishing returns, Right. that the American people are not responding well to um well quite frankly their support for all these wars at the same time that they're just woke and confrontational with so many of their own yeah. constituents and that's kind of causing a huge problem and and people know the economy is uh you know they know the inflict they i mean they they don't understand enough to say that trump is also responsible just as responsible for this inflation mm-hmm. but they do know that biden is making it worse Right. And so and I that's think very important. I think this is where the door opens for someone like DeSantis because he's an established he can play both sides of the fence because he was a huge dissident when it came to COVID. 
but he's still very, very establishment if you look throughout his uh, congressional career. So he can pull both people. But this is kind of what Trump did. Trump originally was a very dissident candidate, but then as soon as he got in, he joined right in with a certain wing of the establishment and did whatever they wanted. So he gets to play both sides of the fence too. So I don't know, man. In that respect, Kennedy really is the only one that you could say, I don't know. Would he line up with the establishment? I don't know. Maybe he would. I I would cautiously say he wouldn't. But, um, you know, that's the only one that, you know, you know, he may or may not. I, I don't think Trump's going to go on some grand revenge tour. I think that's absolutely silly. Anybody who thinks that um, hasn't learned their lesson because Trump doesn't learn anything. He just continues on his own path. Um, DeSantis an establishment guy. He wants it to be his establishment. He doesn't want the boot off your neck. He wants his boot on your neck, right? Those goofy white boots that he was wearing in the rain. Um, <laughs> Biden, you know, he's a walking corpse. It's going to do, uh, he's just going to let Jake Sullivan um, run the state department. And that's pretty much who's running the government now. And then Gavin Newsom's just like one of those lizard people, pro-lockdowns, the most awful Democrat you could possibly imagine. And you have RFK, who's like a fucking 90s Democrat, but is just much, much better on war and uh, isn't afraid to take on big banks, big pharma, and um, all that stuff. So if you ask me, the only person who's polling seriously out of all those people who might actually pose a threat to the establishment is Kennedy, in my mind. Um, yeah. That's... That's the way I see it. Yeah. And if you need any encouragement that we're right about this, uh, we were, uh, when we were in New Hampshire driving to the airport, we listened uh, to a podcast of, um, of Barry Weiss co interviewing oh, and covering God. Robert F. Kennedy yeah. Jr. Uh, and, uh, it was so funny to hear her introduction because she's going, he has these baseless conspiracies about how the CIA killed her, uh, you know, his, his uncle and his father. And she's just <laughs> complaining about all these different things she hates about Kennedy. And then she goes, the one thing I really like about him is his Israel policy. And so like, tell me she did. She really said that. Yes. Yes. She goes, it's a welcome, a welcome change from our, the progressive caucus and the squad. Oh my God. It was so funny. It was so you could not have written that as a sketch. People would have gone, yeah, man, that's too obvious. Come on. Barry Weiss is going to say that the only <laughs> thing she likes about RFK Jr. You know, so it was funny. She was trying to like, she was trying to dampen any sort of support or optimism for him, except for mm. that aspect, really. Yeah. At least from what I heard, I heard like the first half hour of the podcast. Mm. But um, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, there that part of the establishment, that Warhawk neocon, you know, part of that uh, part uh, the, of the progressive wing they do not support him they they want essentially a continuation or some i don't even know i mean barry weiss is such a weird character to be honest with you yeah, i don't yeah. listen to her that much but um i just i want to see people like hers voices uh to be you know blacked out by or just mm -hmm. completely drowned out by people who think more like this guy who think that we need to end this damn proxy war in ukraine mm -hmm. and have and and completely pull back our troops and bases and stop this uh this path towards brinksmanship with china mm -hmm. and you know he's talking about completely rewriting you know going and going back to the drawing the post-cold war drawing board and like he said having our peace dividend and mm -hmm. he knows that we started all these wars in the Middle East and launched a whole both new cold wars against Russia and China. And this was led mm -hmm. by the neocons uh, sort of epitomized in the project for a new American century crew and their uh, their ancillaries and fellow travelers. Mm -hmm. And so he knows who the enemy is and he knows what they did and he wants to change it.
someone should tell him that they're all Likudniks, basically. They're all, you know, <laughs> Israel firsters too. But yeah. um, but other than that, man, I just the fact that he's saying all that stuff uh, as a foreign policy guy, I, I am just yeah, I'm pretty you know, I'm stoked for this to see what he can do. Uh, you know, I think it's gonna be very healthy. It's like white white blood cells rushing toward an infection. You just yeah. want to get more of them, as many as possible. Yeah, dude, absolutely. So I've kept you a little over time, man. I always love talking to you. Um, you know, we have our little group chat and we always shoot the shit. So um, as always, it's always a pleasure to have you on, man. Go ahead, I give your plugs and uh anything um you got going on cool that you want people to know about, feel free to uh, let her loose and then um hang around for a few minutes after and send me all those links so I can put them in the description so that we everyone yeah. can uh, check that stuff out, especially that one um piece that ran in the wrong Paul Institute. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. We're going to uh, Kyle and myself and Scott and Keith are going to Freedom Fest tomorrow and we'll be there, I think, through Saturday or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll be at the Libertarian Institute antiwar.com table. So everybody just come by and hang out. We'd love to see you. Of course, um, plugs. I got the Libertarian Institute. Uh, all my articles are going to be running the featured articles section, the news section there. Uh, Kyle and I and Will are putting out articles every day. And then we do Conflicts of Interest, which is our uh, show. We do three or four shows every week. Um, and Kyle and I uh, do uh, one show a week and uh, together we cover for all the worst news uh, across the empire, whatever the empire is doing uh, from South America to uh, to Northeast Asia. So just check uh, check that out. And, um, yeah, and I'm also writing news at antiwar.com on a regular basis too. So you'll see me there in the news section and, uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Freeman's mind 96 and, uh, our show is on all the podcast apps, uh, Kyle and my show and, and we're on, um, you know, YouTube odyssey rumble, all that. So, uh, just check us out. And again, man, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much, Kyle. Thank you for all the work you're doing. Um, you're easily one of my favorite people in the whole fucking movement and i think i tell everybody that i know like who's a libertarian like you gotta hear this guy's show he is one of our best guys on china it's amazing and honestly dude it's 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 just man it's it's just so great to have uh you know a buddy in the movement who's pushing that you know who's fighting that same battle because even in our movement there's not enough people talking about the china stuff Mm -hmm. But once you learn enough about it, you're just like, I got to do something about this. In fact, yeah. that's how I started writing for the Institute on a regular basis, because I was reading Dave DeCamp and, and listening to Robbie Martin and getting mm -hmm. the shit scared out of me in 2020. <laughs> actually. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, that's uh, it's just fantastic. And I love talking to you. So thank you so yeah. much. No, dude, feelings very, very mutual. And, uh, you know, as I told you before, uh, you, Dave DeCamp, Pat McFarlane, Peter Schiff, um, Kyle Anzalone and y'all, all you guys over there have been um, a big inspiration on me and, you know, have given me all the knowledge I need to kind of talk about this stuff professionally. And it's allowed me to go on other shows and uh, spread the good gospel and hopefully uh, kind of open people's eyes up to what's going on with uh, China and Taiwan. So um, hell yeah, man, we'll definitely do it again. Um, if you've got anything else, we'll uh, close her out, man. No, I think we're good, man. This is, uh, this is great. And uh, yeah, let's do it again soon. Absolutely, man. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. And uh, until next time, take care. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.